It's almost like you asked for it, you got it. Right? In the next few chapters, we'll see um, that they got what they asked for. So we're going to jump in, starting with verse 1. It says, There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bekorath, the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice and handsome young man. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. So these two verses say any, everything, really. Uh, you see that Kish, his son Saul, and Kish, we find out his father, is a mighty man of power. Now in the Hebrew, contextually, in a pool of the Hebrew semantic range meanings for the word, it could, it could be a man of power, a man of wealth, or a warrior. Um, however you look at it, this was a man of worldly substance. Right, so even dad had a little bit of a reputation. We read on. Saul, his son, was choice and handsome and young, and he had great stature. Certainly probably looked really good sitting on a horse, a fine stallion with, a, with his sword. And this is what the people around looked at. And the children of Israel even said, we want a king like the other nations. Now, I, I just kind of did some searching and... Um, you know, I found that uh, most nations, even in modern times, they like their kings to look like what they consider kings. Again, it's a fleshly thing. If you look at George Washington, he was over six foot tall. He was a tall man, apparently a brave man. They were marveled that he never got shot in battle because he was such a big target. Um, the uh, Alexander the Great, he conquered all the way to the east to India. One of his last battles, which he won, was the Battle of the Hisdaspes River. Let me say that right. Hadaspes River. And he fought a man, a, a large Indian named King Porus. He was also a man of great stature. Well, King Porus had a lot of elephants. It was pretty amazing. They were like the old tanks. But because of the muddy field, uh, Porus started to lose. His elephants couldn't get traction, and there was all kinds of problems with that. And uh, Alexander the Great marveled at this man because his army was decimated and the Greeks had completely surrounded him and he was still fighting and, and still killing the Greek soldiers. So Alexander had his men draw back. He was so taken by this man, he didn't have him killed. And he said, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, treat me like the king that I am. So kind of like some machismo there, you know, it's, it's, it's really a fleshly desire because I'm going to read later what God says that we should really be looking uh, for. But the children of Israel got what they asked for. Now, if we take uh, Saul and look at some of the men that God also uses, we look at David. And maybe Samuel kind of got used to um, Saul, the, the great stature man that he was. So when he went to choose Jesse's sons, well, some of Jesse's sons were also very um, kingly looking. And they had the size and they had the looks. And and God's like, no, 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 all the way down to the end. He goes, well, who's left? Look at these guys. And, uh, well, there's a little shepherd boy out in the field, little ruddy guy. That's the one God said that I want. And I think God does that on purpose. You look at Moses. I mean, we look at the movies with Charlton Heston, and, the, and he had the long, you know, uh, what they call highlighted hair with the silver in it, and he had the staff. But the truth is Moses was a timid guy. To the, to the point where he needed help. Lord, help me. Okay, I'll give you Aaron. Well, I still don't want to go. Well, now you're going. You know, you kind of run out of options there. Gideon, he was hiding in the wine press. Right? The, and, you know, you mighty man of valor. And I can see Gideon going, who's behind me? You're not talking to me. 
And this is the man that God uses, but this Saul was the guy that the people chose. You know, what do we rely on? What does God want us to rely on? What do you, why do you think that God gave the people Saul? I, again, I think that's what, he, what they asked for. And when I look at this, I'm praying and I'm thinking about the story and I'm like, you know, Lord, don't give me what I want in the flesh because the Bible's clear. Romans tells us that in the first few chapters. If we keep pushing our agenda, pushing what we want, God at times will give us over. And if it's sinful, he'll go give us over to that debasement and the consequences that go with it. So Saul, let's look a little bit about his background. We, we talked a little bit about his father. We talked about him, but the tribe of Benjamin that Saul was from, these were warlike among the children of Israel. Um, and Saul did very well in many battles. But you can liken that to the flesh because truthfully, we can use our own strength, our own intelligence, and our own abilities, and we can get by. But if we're believers, it's only going to get us so far. Well, again, Saul won many battles. He's slain his thousands for the Lord and for Israel. But Saul's end was ignominious. You know, it was shameful. And we'll see that. Verse 3. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, Please take one of the servants with you and arise, go and look for the donkeys. So we passed through the mountains of Ephraim and through the land of Shalisha, but they did not find them. Then they passed through the land of Shalom, and they were not there. Then he passed through the land of the Benjaminites, but they did not find them. But when they had come to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us. So Kish's donkeys become lost, and it's Saul's job to look for them, but to no avail. And he decides, you know, if we stay out any longer, dad's going to start worrying about us instead of the donkey, so let's go return. Verse 6. And he said to him, look now, there is in this city a man of God, and he's an honorable man. All that he says surely comes to pass. So let us go there, and perhaps he can show us the way that we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, but look, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread in our vessels is all gone, and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? And the servant answered Saul again and said, Look, I have here at hand one-fourth of a shekel of silver. I will give that to the man of God to tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, and this is parenthetical, when a man went to inquire of God, he spoke thus, Come, let us go to the seer. For he who is now called a prophet was formerly called a seer. End of parentheses. Then Saul said to his servant, well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. Now, this is a really neat picture of, you know, the Christian questions about sovereignty, God's sovereignty and man's free will. And again, I believe they work in, in concert with each other. Saul's looking for a man of God to ask about the lost donkeys. But it's also a divine appointment for Samuel to run into Saul, or Saul to run into Samuel, and tell him, hey, but guess what, buddy, you're going to be the king. So I, again, it's just my speculation. I wouldn't doubt it if God led the donkeys out there so that this could all take place. Right? We, looked, we looked at the cows with the Philistines. They left their maternal instincts to go and bring the Ark of the Covenant into Israel. So um, that's a miracle in itself. And Saul uh, is interesting because he doesn't seem to be very knowledgeable about Samuel. And that's unusual because they were close to each other in geography. 
Uh, chapter 7 tells us that Samuel always went back to Ramah. And we understand that's in Benjamin. And Saul was from Benjamin. So how does Saul not know about Samuel? It takes his servant to explain to him, hey, there's a man of God in this area. Also, Samuel was a big part of Israel's spiritual history. And if you knew God and the things of God, you would know that Samuel was being used by God. You would, you would make that association. Certainly commendable that he wanted to, you know, please his father and find the donkeys, but that doesn't make him a spiritual man. Kind of reminds me, you know, as I'm thinking about this and I'm reading it, it reminds me about those who are part of the Christian community. Every church knows people like this. They have people like this, that they are part of the community, but they don't have really a relationship with God. Now, I'm not saying that Samuel is equal with God, but certainly he is a type of Christ if we look at at the character there. And sadly, so many are so close to Jesus, but they never cross the line and have the relationship with them, right? Uh, Probably the most frustrating thing is to preach for years and have people part of the community. And not frustrating like I'm mad, but kind of like I'm sad. And wonder why, sometimes I ask myself, because I reflect on some of the messages and some of the, um, the discussion about the messages, I say to myself, am I too soft? Do I not talk about hell enough, you know? But the truth is that there are some that will listen, come, listen. They like the community, but it just never reaches their heart. They're denominationalists, they're religious, but they don't have a relationship with the Lord. So verse seven, I read this again. This is interesting. It says, then Saul said to his servant, but look, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread in our vessels is all gone and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? Now, I wonder how this kind of came about. People talk, you know, if you're going to go up and talk to the man of God, you should have a gift or a present or a little bit more than a quarter of a shekel. Uh, It could have been because of Samuel's sons. We know that they were corrupt. The Bible tells us we just read that. Uh, We also know that Eli's sons were corrupt. So is it possible that word gets around? I mean, this was not a business transaction. This was seeing a man of God about his spiritual gifts and finding out a way to help an old man not to worry. So this is what we have here. Now, you know, today it's, it's also a turnoff, and, and I've said this from the pulpit, probably one of the main reasons that many don't come to church is because their attitude is they just want money from me. And sadly enough, some have turned it into that. So it's a legitimate concern. Well, it looks like it was no different back then. And God is very serious about those who represent him. You know, it's always a challenge. We, you know, I, I love to we had a board meeting and one of the pastors, we were going back and forth and refining our, our skills of debating and stuff. But, you know, I think it's really more of a challenge when you try to explain the Bible to a child. My son and I were reading through uh, Aaron's son, Nadab and Abihu, when they offered profane fire before the Lord and he literally toasted them. He killed them. He burned them up. And we're reading that and my son says, why, Dad? Why did that happen? Do you want the short answer or the long answer? (laughs) But the bottom line is God takes representation of himself very serious. And we read the part about how when the priests would do uh, their their duties in the temple, how they weren't supposed to drink wine. 
And my son asked me again, why is that, Dad? Because God wants the man of God to have a clear head. He wants an accurate representation of who God is because he is, in a sense, an ambassador or a representative or a mediator or a type of a mediator. So it's, it's interesting to look at that. So listen, th- their idea is that they got to give the guy money, and um, I don't think Samuel took any money. He actually gave, and we'll see that in the feast here. Verse 11, as they went up the hill to the city, they met some young women going out to draw water and said to them, is the seer here? And they answered them and said, yes, there he is, just ahead of you. Hurry now, for today he came into the city because there is a sacrifice of the people today on the high place. As soon as you come into this city, you will surely find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes, because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now therefore, go up, for about this time you will find him. So they went up to the city, and as they were coming into the city, there was Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. So this is the meeting that God wanted to take place between Samuel the prophet, the judge, and Saul. Now, this is what I find really neat, and we can miss this. I always like to look into the passage and see what's going on, right? Remember the whole sacrifice with Samuel and the Philistines were like right on top of them, and I just, in my mind, they just said, wow, what was that like? That must have been very scary. But here's a situation where Samuel's sons are corrupt, Do I know this point if he's removed them or if he's going to deal with them or he's got a plan? I don't know. They're serving, representing God, and they're corrupt. But Samuel is still serving the Lord. Now, do you think Samuel loved his kids any less than we do? No. It probably hurt him. It probably caused him great pain. But he still served the Lord. And I just want to kind of talk about distractions for a moment. Sometimes it could be our kids. Sometimes it could be those close to us. It's something to throw us off the track. And the true test of integrity is if we continue to do the same service. Pastor Anthony kind of let the cat out of the bag a few uh, Wednesdays ago. He's looking at me. He's with furrowed eyebrows. What are you talking about? (laughs) Years ago, we had trouble in our church. And we had something that worked its way into some of the leadership. It didn't take their positions very seriously. And I actually sat down with a man who was still doing the right thing, our elder in the back, Vinnie Whitehead. And I said, Vinnie, right now things are very tumultuous. Nothing against you, but the whole elder thing, we've got to put that aside. I I can't every Sunday, there's there's names in there, there's not names under elders. We're going to just table this for a while until things straighten themselves out. Vinnie said to me, you know, Joe, I don't need a title to serve God. I don't need a title. I'm going to still love the youth. I'm going to still love the people. I'm going to still do what I've been called to do. That showed me right there that that is a man of integrity. Everything eventually worked itself out, but he wasn't distracted. And I think we have to be careful about that, especially in our society. There's little distractions and there's big distractions. Little distractions is too many phone calls, uh, a deadline at work. Big distraction is something happens with our kids. And that's what happened with Samuel. Keep your eye on, and, and I, you know, I feel like the Lord is, is even in my prayer today, and, and I'm thinking about this, we all serve, it's so cool, the board meeting, me, I look at B-O-A-R-D meetings as B-O-R-E-D meetings, you know what I'm saying? I don't like board meetings, it's something I have to do as a senior pastor, but they're boring to me. 
But we had different pastors in there, people from different, um, you know, churches and different demographics. And we all had different ideas. But at the end of the day, we expressed our opinions. Sometimes we didn't agree. But at the end of the day, we hug each other. There's no malice. We take a vote and we move on. And I said, you know, wouldn't it be great if every Christian did this? We're going to have differences. We're going to have different styles. We're going to have issues with each other. But at the end of the day, we serve one Lord. And that's the most important thing. When Paul talks about the body, we comprise the body. He's the head. You see? Some of us are a thumb. Some of us are a big toe. You need that big toe for balance. You know what I'm saying? We all have a purpose. I'm kind of getting off the subject here, but distractions. We need to continue working in the same field, shoulder to shoulder, to serve the same goal. It's a scary world out there. Christians in Egypt, I bet you they're really hanging on together for dear life, literally, wondering who's going to be the next person that takes over Egypt. Right? Read the news. Pretty frightening over there. Journalists are getting beat up. You know, they're getting beat up pretty good. Bones, bones broken. It's not a pretty situation over there. But I think they know what it means not to be distracted. Verse 15. Now I'm going to leave this verse on its own because it's powerful. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came. I love that. See, the Hebrew is very emotional. It's very endearing. Um, you got to really meditate on this because, you know, you have feelings with your heart. Okay, we can dig that, even in modern-day uh, America. Uh, you have feelings with your innards, your bowels, your intestines. When you read the Hebrew, it's, it's different than w- the way le- we look at things. Uh, very emotional, very endearing. And if I didn't know any better, I would think the Jews and the Italians came from the same family, my people, the Italians. But how amazing that Samuel was that close to God that God spoke in his ear. And I think it's said like that purposely for a reason. However, we have the Holy Spirit. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we take that for granted, right? Pastor Paul and I had a conversation about how the Holy Spirit speaks to pastors and the things we've noticed. And Jesus says in Luke eleven thirteen, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Are we asking in our prayer life? Is that what we want? What are we asking for in our prayer life? I, I want the wisdom that God has. Because when we don't get that wisdom and we don't do it according to his plan, we mess up and now we have to make up for lost ground. And it causes a lot of pain. Verse 15, I'll read it again through 24. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow, about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him commander over my people Israel, that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people because their cry has come to me. And when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, There he is, the man of whom I spoke to you. This one shall reign over my people. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Please tell me, where is the seer's house? And Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for you shall eat with me today. And tomorrow I will let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart. But as far as your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not be anxious about them, for they have been found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you 
and on all your father's house. Just think of what's running through uh, Saul's minds right now. He's just looking for his donkeys, right? And this is what he's hearing. His whole life is about to change. And Saul answered and said, am I not a Benjamite, a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel and my family the least of the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak like this to me? Then Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the hall and had them sit in the place of honor among those who were invited. There were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, bring the portion which I gave you, of which I said to you, set it apart. So the cook took up the thigh with its upper part and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, here it is, that what was kept back. It was set apart for you to eat, eat. For until this time has been kept from you, since I said I invited the people. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. So there's a sacrifice, there's a bunch of people there, there's probably some dignitaries, and it's a good occasion to bring Saul to the banquet, introduce him to some people, probably was a little overwhelming if you're Saul at that time. Again, he just was looking for his donkeys, and his life was completely changed. And they even gave him a portion, according to Leviticus 7, that the priest would get, a portion of the sacrifice. Now, In a sense, this was their first king. In a sense, he was a type of a mediator. He was a type of intercessor. Uh, God used the kings to do certain things in the land, to bring forth revival, to uh, teach lessons. Some of the evil kings God even used to teach them bad lessons uh, so that they would not desire those types of, of things. However, the irony is, and I'm thinking about this later, Samuel was late to a sacrifice and Saul takes it upon himself to do the sacrifice as if he was the priest. Big leap from what's going on here and he's punished for it. He took on a little bit too much. Verse 21. So Saul, uh, maybe he's, he protests or he, he's like, hey man, I just came from my donkeys. You know, um, it's, it's very flattering, but I'm just here to get the animals and go back home to dad. And I'm paraphrasing, of course. Uh, but Benjamin, what about his tribe? Well, Benjamin has, was almost destroyed by the other tribes because of their wickedness and their hot tempers. Uh, Genesis forty nine twenty seven says about Benjamin. Now, this is Jacob prophesying. He says, Benjamin, you're as a ravenous wolf. In the morning, you devour prey, and at night, you divide the spoil. So this was the moniker, so to speak, of this particular tribe. Verse 21, too, maybe there's a little modesty there. Uh, maybe he wasn't ready for his, his life to change so dramatically. And maybe he didn't want the position. I'll tell you this. You couldn't pay me all the money in the world to be the president of the United States. <laughs> right? I remember when George W. Bush was in, and in eight years, the guy looked like he aged a lot more than eight years. And Obama's been in there a few years, and he looks different to me. He looks like, man, the job is really getting to him. So... You know, all that glitters isn't always gold, right? Uh, Yeah. So like I said, I wouldn't wouldn't want that job, and I don't think many people would vote for me anyway, uh, especially if I had a debate and shared what was on my heart. They'd be like, you ain't getting any votes. Verse 25, it's mutual. When they had come down from the high place into the city, Samuel spoke with Saul on the top of the house. They arose early, and it was about the dawning of the day that Samuel called to Saul on the top of the house, saying, Get up, that I may send you on your way. And Saul arose, and both of them went outside, he and Samuel. Now as they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to go on ahead of us, and he went on. 
but you stand here a while that I may announce to you the word of God. So they send the servant ahead. Um, They're planning on anointing Saul in chapter 10, which we'll get to. Uh, In verse 25, they went on the roof. Now, it wasn't to do bungee jumping. Uh, If you understand the climate, and there was no great snowstorms in that area. I don't think there's any snowstorms. So you could have a flat roof. And the flat roof doubled as a, a place to collect water for drinking, served as a patio, a little extra living space. So the roof, actually the flat roof, served many purposes, and it still does in those areas. When I, I see sometimes a picture of little towns or villages in that area, and you know here everything's a peak because of the snow and such, and I see all these flat roofs, I'm like, that's interesting, but they don't have to worry about the snow that we do, uh, collapsing the place. But let me just conclude with two points here. And I would say the first one, the cliche, be careful what you wish for, because you just might get it. And be careful what you push for, you know. Uh, sometimes you get something and, you know, you're pressing God and you're pressing God and he, and he gives it over. And it might not be what you expected. The second thing is, be careful, Christians, when life seems to be going your way or my way. And when I'm using my intellect and my strength and my abilities. And we can get lulled into a false sense of security. Everything's going great. This is good, God. I'm, I'm cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll check up with you in a few weeks, but I'm good right now. It doesn't work like that. If we're truly a child of God, God, I see some smiles. God will not let us prevail in our own strength. I want to read two scriptures before I close. The first one is Second Chronicles 32.7. And again, this is emblematic, as we'll see if you're with us through this First Samuel series. This is emblematic and embodied in the life of Saul. So I'm kind of tipping you off a little bit with these scriptures. 32, 7 through 8. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid nor dismayed before the king of Assyria. They want to have trouble with him. Uh, Nor before all the multitude that is with him. For there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Another scripture, Psalm 147, 10 through 11. He, God, does not delight in the strength of the horse, but man does. Back then, if you had a a cavalry, you were good. If you had mounted troops, it was like having tanks today, right? And archers on top of those horses, forget about it. You're good. So, He does not delight in the strength of the horse. He takes no pleasure in the legs of a man. Legs of a man propels a man. It's his strength. And in battle, if you had leg leg strength, you could thrust. You could move quickly. So legs were important for a man. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his mercy. We can make the same mistake that Saul eventually made. We can make the same mistake that many men and women in the Bible made. Look at Samson. He did it in his own strength. In the end of his life, he was bound, shackled. His eyes were pulled out, and he got a little bit extra strength, and the whole temple of uh, Dagon, I believe, collapsed on him and killed him. That was his life at the end. So if we're truly a, a, a child of God, God will love us enough to not let us get by on our own strength. So before we close, I just would like to say that we, including me, need to look at ourselves every so often and say, Lord, am I doing it in my own strength? Let's pray.